The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Hello all, my name is the Reverend Lindy Bunch. I'm the priest in charge at Trinity St. Peter's Episcopal Church in San Francisco, and I'm a board member of the Episcopal Impact Fund. And I'm also joined by my trusty pup, Lucille, who usually joins me for sermons during this uh, shelter in place time. Uh, so she usually will just end up yawning or sleeping through most of them. Um, you know, just keeping me humble, uh, I think. And so we are so glad to have you uh, join us on this fourth Sunday in the Lenten season. And now will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In our first reading from the Book of Numbers this week, the words that leap out to me are impatience, misery, bad food, not enough of what we want and too much of what we don't want. I think it's fair to say that the people this week are totally over it. Yes, they are glad to be out of the land of Egypt, of course, that was terrible, and they cried out to God and God answered their prayers. Uh, but what once felt like hope and possibility and newness now feels kind of awful. They're tired, they're cranky, and they're blaming God and Moses. I don't know about you, but this sounds a lot like how I've spent much of this past year. <laughs> there was a time in the pandemic after the initial shock lifted when I do confess I felt hopeful, I felt excited even. 
uh, that there were many awful things happening, but maybe this would finally be the thing that helped us as a society change, that helped us as a church change. And the truth is, I think it has, and I think it is continuing to work on us. But what I always forget or what I fail to allow the space for is the amount of time that it takes things, people, to become new. In number, as in numbers, the road to becoming new can just get boring, frustrating, miserable and maybe has bad food. And if you'll recall, this is not the first nor even the second time that the Israelites have reached this point of frustration during their journey from Egypt. There was this golden calf incident, uh, which is really just another example of a repeating pattern that we find in scripture where the people complain, God judges them, the people repent, and then God shows mercy on them. Our passage from Numbers today is another example of this pattern. Although this time I have to say, even for the Old Testament, something pretty disturbing happens. We read that God sends serpents who bite the people and that many of them die. Yikes. Now, I'll take a moment to remind us that our understanding of God and how God acts in the world changes across denominations, it changed across centuries, and even in our own congregations is probably more nuanced than we might imagine. So what we can say is that for the Israelite people of this time in the book of Numbers, God was seen as directly acting and reacting in concrete ways. So there was a complaint from the people and there was immediately a response from God. This is how they understood their world and what happened to them. So the serpents are seen as punishment for their complaining, for their behavior, for their not trusting in God. But then once the people repent and apologize to Moses and to God, the Lord tells them to make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. And it, it seems to work, interestingly enough. But I wonder, why did it work? I mean, what does that mean for us today? And I think we get a clue as to what might be going on here in our text from Numbers in its pairing with our story from the Gospel today. Jesus, in the thick of his conversation with poor Nicodemus, who just continues to not understand what Jesus is talking about, uses the example of Moses lifting the bronze serpent in the wilderness to discuss Jesus' own purpose in the world. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This verse is then followed by a more well-known verse that some of you may recognize or have maybe seen on coffee mugs, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And so as we think about these two images, the bronze serpent and Jesus, 
it helps us as we compare them to remember what Jesus is really talking about here, how Jesus dies. We know that Jesus died on a cross. It was a horrible, brutal death at the hands of empire. The Messiah, the Savior, the one that the disciples were sure was going to liberate them and free them, dies a shameful and devastating death. But what Jesus keeps saying throughout scriptures is just wait. In other words, there's this plot twist coming, if you will, that in the words of Frederick Beekner reminds us that the worst thing isn't the last thing. That yes, terrible things will happen, but that is not where God leaves us or this story. In fact, here's the wild thing. Easter Sunday can only be reached through Good Friday. And each of us who desires to follow Jesus must follow a similar road through loss and fear and the unknown to reach the fullness of life and freedom in Christ. And while it's challenging to confront ourselves as we are and not as we hope we are, the good news in this is that even my own fears and hates and shames and judgments are the very places God meets me and transforms me. Even death upon a cross did not stop new life. In fact, it became the ground in which it was planted, the place in which hope burst through. That just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted what seemed to be fear and shame and judgment, and it became hope and life and salvation, just like that, Jesus, too, will be lifted up. Because in the image of the bronze serpent, in the crucified Christ, we see the things we fear and feel ashamed of used as the very places God chooses to work God's salvation. Have you felt this in your life? Have you seen it in other people's? And if the answer is no, and you can't think of anything, that's okay. Pray to see, pray to know, and just be prepared that the answer to those prayers will probably be the very last thing you want it to be. For me, uh, one of the ways in which I see this is the work of the Episcopal Impact Fund. It can be really easy to look around us and see the poverty, the inequity, the suffering in the Bay Area and to lose hope. I mean, there are so many structural and systemic problems that are around us. It can be hard to know where to start. So sometimes we tune it out, we walk past those who are suffering because we don't know what we can do. And it can be easy to feel that things will never change. But we also know that apathy isn't the gospel. We also know that hopelessness is not the good news that we preach and teach and live for. And the good news is that there are already many laborers already at work. And at a time when many funders had to step back, we at Episcopal Impact Fund were proud to be able to offer a a half a million dollars over our budgeted amount in funds to organizations in need this year. 
One of those that we have supported is Youth Spirit Artworks, or YSA, which is an interfaith green arts jobs and job training program located in Berkeley and Oakland and committed to empowering homeless and low-income youth. There are some estimated 1,700 homeless youth in Alameda County, with only 36 youth-designated beds. So YSA's young people initiated a tiny house project to build affordable housing. And each youth living in the tiny house village will be fully integrated into YSA's job training program and have access to wraparound services and case management. Over three years, the youth will transition from homelessness or unstable housing to financial self-sufficiency and stability. The Episcopal Impact Fund's grant to YSA provided the funding to build the communal dining yurt at the tiny home village. Episcopal Impact Fund is also a founding funder of programs at the Mission Bernal Hospital that bring perinatal and pediatric mental health services free of charge to the underserved people of San Francisco. This program provides a vital resource for the health and well-being of new mothers and children and ensures that children get the best possible start in life. We also support the work of parishes, so many of you, funding their work to serve those in the greatest need. We're able to do all of this to affect change in our Bay Area at a greater scale because we pool our resources and invest in those who are doing the work. We're stronger together, and together we can make a greater impact than we could alone. And so while there's much work to be done, and there is, our scripture remind us to not despair. That sometimes what is raised up before us however terrifying or uncomfortable it is to behold, is actually an invitation to our own salvation. And in this way, perhaps 2020 was a year to find hope in after all. Not because we didn't struggle or despair or lament, but precisely because we did. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Understanding the reality of the world and its brokenness does not mean that salvation is farther away than it was before we understood. Instead, it is actually the invitation to step forward in faith, to allow God to enter the places within us and our world where hope seems the most distant, because those places, our scriptures tell us, are God's preferred places to bring forth new life. So if you're interested in joining with the Episcopal Impact Fund to do that, let us know. And if you're interested in discerning where God might be calling you at this point in your life, reach out. Discernment is best done in community, amongst friends. Reach out to your priest, a trusted friend, a partner. And no matter what, always remember that God is present and God is at work. No matter how cranky we might get, God can use that too. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. The worst thing is not the last thing. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon. Jesus.